Genesis chapter 3, we'll look at verses 8 through 11 um, this morning. When I was uh, about 11 years old, uh, my parents uh, separated, and my mother lived in Wilson, and I lived with my father in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And so uh, I would go and visit my mother on the weekends, and uh, I was trying to plug into two different sets of friends. I had my Rocky Mount friends, and then I had my Wilson friends. But my Wilson friends, I struggled to like connect with because here I was just trying to make friends on the weekend. And uh, I had one good friend in Wilson, his name was Rusty. Rusty and Wilson was my friend. And it uh, sounds like the beginning of like a kid's book, Rusty and Wilson. Um, and so I would go and hang out with Rusty on the weekends. And as I would go, anywhere he would go, someone would think I was someone else. They would always say, oh, Rusty, you brought Kevin. And they would come up and say, hey, Kevin, what's up? And they'd go, oh, you're not Kevin. They would just do this over and over. And so every time I would go to Wilson, someone thought I was Kevin. And uh, I learned this the hard way when my mom dropped Rusty and, all, Rusty and I off at the movie theater to watch Ninja Turtle 2, Ninja Turtles 2, which is like the, is it like, what's the, it's like something ooze, it's got the name ooze in the title. Anyway, it's a terrible movie, the first one's way better, but anyway. Um, and so she, she drops us off, we're at the arcade in the theater waiting for the movie to start, and you know, when you're 11, 12, like that was like a really cool thing to do. Like you're at the arcade and like I'm old, okay? Um, and so we're, we're there and then I'm playing this arcade game and then Rusty taps me on the shoulder and he says, dude, there's some girls over there that want to talk to you. Yeah, you heard it. Um, <laughs> some girls over there that wants to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I, I turn around and you know, you're 11, you think you got a little bit of swag. And so I'm like starting to, you know, you know, clear off my shirt, you know, I'm like, okay. So I start walking across the lobby, and I see these group of girls, and they're, they're pointing and, like, smiling and waving, waving for me to go over there. So I start walking across the lobby, all excited, ready to, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something really, you know, suave about this girl, you know, like, to this girl. And so I'm, I'm walking over, and she's smiling, and the closer I get, the more confused her face gets. And then I get, like, five feet, ten feet away, and then she goes, oh, you're not Kevin, and then I had to put my head down and just do this walk of shame back to Rusty. He's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know, man. You know, that's to make up something, right? And so um, that happened over and over again in Wilson. Not that happened in Wilson, but uh, people thought I was Kevin. And apparently Kevin looked like me but was better looking. So I had this grudge against all Kevins that I met. So if your name's Kevin and I hold a grudge to you, that's why I'm sorry, okay? Kevin ruined my life at 11 years old. That's what happened, okay? And so... Um, so Kevin was this guy who uh, I felt like misrepresented me. And so I lived going to Wilson in fear of being misrepresented. Now, I'll tell you that story because all of us, whether we know it or not, have been misrepresented. Uh, you may not have this exact story. Hopefully you don't, but you've been misrepresented in some way. You've been blamed for something, really, that you didn't do. And, and here's, here's where we're going this morning. Uh, we're going to see in the text um, that we are, how Adam's sin uh, have uh, caused us to be represented by him. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, made us sinners just like him. And the problem then 
is with us. That's the problem with us. And what we're going to see this morning, even though that's bad news, there's really good news in the gospel because the gospel gives us a new representative. And I know that none of you are on the edge of your seats wondering who it is, but I'll tell you the punchline of where we're going anyway. The punchline is Jesus. Jesus is going to be the representative and the hope that we have in this text. So anyone excited about that? Good, good. That was, that was good. Um, so let me bring you up to speed on where we're going and what's happening in the text. God creates man and woman, and he creates them in his own image. And this time, there were only two people on the face of the earth, and that was Adam and Eve. And he gave Adam and Eve, God gave Adam and Eve everything they would need to survive, everything they would need to live in beautiful harmony. However, he gave them one verse, one commandment of, of, of not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. But Adam and Eve decided to go on their own agenda rather than following and obeying their creator, and they took the fruit of the tree and they ate of it. And then we see one of the most ridiculous scenes in the Bible, man and woman, Adam and Eve, try to hide from God. And that's where we pick up in the text. And this is where all problems lead to right here. Start in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God, impossible, right? Among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, right out of the gate, we see something in the text that should get our attention in terms of gender and God's order. At the beginning of chapter 3, we see both Adam and Eve sin, and we've seen so far in the text, chapter 1, chapter 2, God gives man this responsibility to know this one commandment that has been broken by both Adam and Eve. However, God holds Adam primarily responsible for what happens here. And here's how we know that. We know that because of verses 9 and 10. Who is it that God looks for in the garden? He looks for Adam. He says, where are you? Even though you and Eve both sin, I'm looking for you, Adam. Now, uh, we're going to talk more about this next week, but I want to say this uh, specifically to the men this morning, specifically those of you who are married. God holds us, men, primarily responsible for what happens in our homes. Yes, my wife Jessica is responsible for her personal walk with the Lord. Yes, my boys are responsible for repenting and believing in the gospel. However, when there's a breakdown in my family where they don't understand the gospel, they're not clinging to the truths of God's word, I have to remind myself, and I'm somewhat haunted in a good way by what God says to Adam in the garden when, he, when there's failure. He says, where are you? When Jess isn't thriving in the gospel, in the word, in relationships, and time management, I have to come back to this text where, where God calls out the man and says, where are you? When my boys aren't respecting their mama and they aren't uh, being disciplined and they aren't obeying, I have to imagine myself hearing God in the garden saying, where are you? When my family's priorities are out of sorts and we aren't grateful for what God has done for us and we aren't generous and what, uh, and what all the gifts that God's given us, I have to ask myself the question. I have to hear God saying, Ben, where are you? And this is a weighty truth of 
what God has called men out to, obedience to the Lord. Hey, you are to shepherd this precious flock that you're given to. And I want to tell you guys, a lot of you guys are single in this room. Listen, when you get married, you need to be prepared for this responsibility and weight. When you're dating girls, you're not just dating and just playing around. You're pursuing a woman that you are going to shepherd and lead and love in this way. And when there's a breakdown in the family, he's going to say, listen, where are you, bro? Where are you? Where are you stepping up? Where are you leading? Where are you, where are you causing? And we'll see this even next week um, in the text in Ephesians 5. Where are you causing your family to flourish in the gospel? And so that's a side point. You're welcome. Um, verse 11. Uh, verse 11 is hysterical to me um, because people all often wonder, when was it where Adam and Eve were created and when did they fall? How many years happened or was it the first year or was it the next day? Or We don't really know. Scripture doesn't say. But my joking response is that he's got to be a newlywed. And he's got to be a newlywed for verses 11 and 12. I'll show you. He said... God says this to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree in which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman, this is how I know he's a newlywed, whom you gave to be with me, she gave, uh, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? So here you have Adam not knowing the basic Principles of marriage 101, she's right, you're wrong, all right? He doesn't even know that. Rookie mistake, first year of marriage, clearly. I think it happened in the first year. May have happened in the first month based on his response. But look at verse 13. Verse 13 is this. It says, then the Lord uh, God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The, The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What happens when man and woman both sin? Both hide and both blame. Both hide and pretend like it's not there, and when it's exposed, they both blame. That's what sin does. It, it, we change words when we sin. We, we try to minimize what we did when we sin. We'll say things like, oh, it's my upbringing, or it's the system, or if, we, if it, I wasn't treated this way, I wouldn't act like this. Or we say to teenagers, well, the problem with teenagers is that they're in the wrong crowd. No, no, no. you're not in the wrong crowd. You are the wrong crowd. That's why you like hanging out with the wrong crowd. The problem is you, because there's a bigger problem. The problem is with us. We're all sinners. And that's why God has to make this next statement in verse 14. Lord God said to the serpent, the one who deceived Eve, correct? Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, which is like a separation, I will put a separation between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to do a whole sermon on verses 14 and 15 in a couple of weeks, but I want to tell you, basically, here's what's happening. God punishes Satan for tempting Adam and Eve to sin, and he is going to put Satan to death 
on what he did on the cross. He's going to put sin to death, Satan to death, and uh, now there will be a victorious reign of Christ. That's a promise and a guarantee of his death, burial, and resurrection. What you're going to see in verse 15 is actually the first promise that there would be a redeemer. Uh, Adam and Eve had no idea what he was talking about. Okay, there's a, there's a serpent that head's going to be crushed, and there's a person whose uh, heel's going to be bruised. What does that mean? Clearly, it's talking about the, the uh, crucifixion of Christ. Uh, they had no idea it was about the crucifixion of Christ. There was no such thing as the crucifixion at that point. Um, but we know it because we live on this side of the cross. He's giving them a picture of there has to be a redeemer for what happened. And then what we see from, from here on out is what creates the problem of relationships ever since. A perfect example of that, not just because of the blame game that Adam and Eve have in the garden, but what happens to their kids? Well, it doesn't, it's not pretty. Adam and Eve have, first, they have, they have several children, but they have uh, the first two boys, they have Cain and Abel. One kills the other one because of jealousy. What are they, what's, what's Cain doing by killing his brother? He's following in his father's footsteps. He, God promised Adam, listen, if you sin, it's going to bring death. And what happened is they continued to sin. The curse of sin continued through Adam, through Cain, through Abel, through Moses, through everyone in the Old Testament, everyone in the New Testament, and us today. The sin, the curse of sin continues with us. Now, it's important that we see this truth. And this is not just a silly little anecdotal story in the Bible. A lot of times people will look at Adam and Eve and they'll try to actually deny whether or not they were real or fictitious fictitious characters. And I've even heard some theologians try to hold up the Bible and say, okay, well, the New Testament, that's all true things, but Adam and some of the Old Testament characters, they're really fictitious stories to try to teach us about how to have good moral lives and make good choices. I've even heard some people claim that uh, all of Genesis is a poem and Adam is just a, a story to teach us how to make wise choices. Let me just tell you the danger of saying that. Because if you take Adam out of the equation and you make him a fictitious character and you say that he's not real, you're really uh, taking away from the gospel. Because if there is no Adam, there is no gospel. I want you to see that. But not only that, if you believe that Adam is a fictitious character and you try to uphold the rest of the New Testament, you actually can't. Because the Gospel of Luke, uh, he, he lays out a genealogy of Christ, of how Christ came into the world. You know what the Gospel of Luke does? You know what Luke does, who's a medical doctor, who's putting forth all of the effort to try to prove to skeptics that Jesus is real? You know what he does? He links back all of Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam and all the way forward. And so if Adam was fake, it wouldn't make sense for Luke to put Adam in Jesus' own genealogy, would it? Why would you put a fictitious character in genealogy? You wouldn't do it. And so not only do we have him as a real character that, that proves that he's related to Christ and therefore related to all of us, but also how Paul deals with original sin, he attributes, he, he, uh, attributes it back to Adam. And that also wouldn't make sense if he was a fictitious character. And so in Romans chapter 5, Paul is addressing the issue of faith. And he's saying, um, without Christ, you cannot have any faith. Without Jesus opening your eyes, you cannot have faith. And so what he begins to do is he attributes 
the problem with the world back to Adam. And he's attributing it to him as a real person. Notice what he says, and I'll flip over with me, if you will, to Romans 5. Hold your place in Genesis 3. Flip over to Romans 5. I'll read starting in verse 12. Now, I'm going to read 12 through 17. I want you to follow along with what Paul says specifically about Adam's sin and how it corrupts everything. Look at what we will. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and death so spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. So just in case you were wondering who he's talking about, he says it specifically. Verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. So he's saying Adam is a type of one to come. There's There's one that's coming that is far better. Again, punchline, Jesus. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, see how he keeps going back to Adam. One man's sin, one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abandoned for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will be received. But must be for those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, all of that, Besides verse 17, seems like bad news. Here's what Paul just said. Because Adam sinned, he represents all mankind. All men and all women from generation to generation. Immediately with his own children throughout the entire Bible, throughout the history of the world. Every single one of us are accountable Because Adam sinned. And every single one of us act like Adam and Eve without Christ. This is consistent throughout Scripture. We see it in the Psalms. Psalm 51, verse 5. What does the psalmist say? He says, Behold, I was brought brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Verse uh, Psalm uh, 58, verse 3. He says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Psalm 143, verse 2, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. See what he says? At birth, even though you have cute little babies, he says, from birth, you want to speak lies. No one's righteous before us. What does Jesus say on the matter? Jesus says this in Mark 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from where? Within. And they defile a person. 
And so we even hear it with prosperity preaching in the United States. We hear like, there's a lot of good in you. There's a lot of gold in you. You got to find that good in you. Let me tell you, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus is like, hey, man, you don't have anything good in you right now. That's why you need salvation. That's why you need redemption. David even says, God, I've been talking to you for a while. I've been hoping to see some good out there. Is there any? God's like, nope. David's like, thanks, you know. I'm going to have fun leading this kingdom, right? But it's over and over and over again. This is what you are made of at birth. This is what you and I are. We're all guilty of sin. And if you have an analytical mind, you're going, okay, I have a problem with that. Like, how am I accountable for what someone did thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago? Like, why am I responsible for that? doesn't seem fair. But what does Paul say in Romans 5? I'll I'll read it again, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because what? All have what? Sin. So this is what Paul captures. We sin twice over. We sin because we're sinners. That was Adam's choice. But we also, we have sinned because it's our choice. We can say, I'm mad at Adam because he messed us all up. Listen, you can also have to stand here and say, have you sinned? And you're going to have to say, yes. Now, I have been in ministry for almost 20 years. Uh, I've been a believer for 20, almost 30 years. And uh, I can tell you, I've only met one person that said he was without sin. I I was doing uh, ministry in New Hampshire going door-to-door and sharing the gospel with different people in a very under-church area. And this one guy comes to the door, and he just got out of the shower, and he put on his tidy whities And I ring the doorbell. He comes to the door, and he's, like, still wet with tidy whities on. And I'm like, I'll wait. I'll come back. He's like, no, no, no. What do you have to say? I'm like, I just have to say this is weird. Like, I, you know, I'm just starting over and start sharing the gospel. And then we start sharing the gospel. I said, you know, I start with the problem of evil and why there's sin in the world. He goes, well, I've never sinned. I'm like, man, this is a sin right now to stand in front of me almost naked, right? And so I had to get through the gospel and say, hey, you're sinning right now because you're lying to me. Of course we've sinned. Have you ever had a wicked, you know, start, start to break it down. But he said, no, nah, I've never ever sinned. So I didn't even know what to say. I'm like, I don't know what to say. I like, hope you figured this out. Like, good luck, you know. And so, um, and so that's only one time that I've had. Because all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned willingly. And I tell you that because if we try to go through the life and try to blame Adam for everything, we're going to miss the point because all of us have sinned. If you get pulled over, you can't look at the officer and say, Adam made me do it. It's not going to work. No, you did it. You did it. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned willingly. In fact, John's very clear. In 1 John chapter 1, he says, if we say that we're without sin, we lie and we don't practice the truth. James says it this way. He says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away. We're dragged away by our own evil desire, our own wickedness in our heart, our own desires that uh, want to trust ourselves more than God. So how in the world is this good news? Like, I've given you some really, like, welcome to integrity. You're bad. Let's pray. That's what I've given you so far. So how is this good news? Well, first of all, what this does is it equals the playing field. It shows us that none of us are greater than the other. All of us came here this morning. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what what kind of education or kind of gifts you came from. I don't care if you came from a, a broken home or a Christian home or whatever. I don't care where you came from. All of us are sinners in need of a Savior. 
Every single one of us. You were, and you were not condemned to hell for a specific sin. You were condemned to hell because you were, you were cursed to sin. And so this levels the playing field out. This, this helps us to see that this could create a, a compassion for us, for others. That's what it shows us. This is a compassion for others who sin differently than we do. Phil Yancey said it best. He says, Christians get very angry toward other Christians who sin differently than they do. It's true. We look at others and we say, well, I don't struggle with that. Oh, by the grace of God, you don't struggle with that. I would never do that. Oh, really? Adam seems to say differently. Jesus seems to say differently. If you would never do such and such, it's only by the grace of God because our hearts are inherently wicked and we want to disobey our creator. We want to rebel against him as much as we can. You say, well, I feel like a good person. Yeah, but even in your best, most righteous act, there's still pride and self-righteousness in there. So there's still a wickedness in our heart that we cannot fix ourselves. So you're not a sinner because you sin. Rather, you sin because you are a sinner. But here's the good news. We're sinners because we're represented by Adam, yes. But the good news is we get, in the gospel, a new representation. And so I would be remiss if I didn't read the rest of Romans 5. So I'm going to show you that representation here in Romans 5. Starting verse 17 again. He says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will uh, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's sin, led to condemnation for all men and women, so one act of righteousness, one act of righteousness, he says, leads to justification, I'll explain that word in a minute, and life for all men and women. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam's sin, right? The many were made sinners, so that by the one man's obedience, one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that is a weighty text, but I want you to give the basic understanding of this. He says, because of Adam's sin, we stand condemned, but the beautiful part is the very end of 19 and all of 21, through one man's obedience, many, not everyone, but many will be made righteous. What is the obedience of one man? First of all, the one man is Jesus Christ. But what's the obedience? Obedience was him, what Paul says in the book of uh, Philippians. He says, Jesus Christ became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus loved God and us so much that he became obedient to death. He sacrificially laid his life down for us so that he would be our new representative and he became our representative by dying in our place. By bo- boring the wrath of God that we deserved, God's hatred toward sin, 
Jesus Christ took that on for us and took our place and sacrificially laid his life down for us. And as Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he says, For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The great reformer Martin Luther says that this is the great exchange. My sin goes to Jesus. Jesus' righteousness comes to me. Why? Through one man's obedience, through his sacrificial death. In other words, because you were represented by Adam, you are a sinner. But now we, and we need a, uh, a new representative. But the gospel is Jesus died in your place to make that possible. And friends, you cannot make that possible on your own. The only thing that we brought to the table in terms of our salvation is our sin, is who we are represented by, Adam. And there's nothing neither one of us can do to obtain the favor of God because we're represented by Adam. All we brought to the table was our sin. In fact, Jonathan Edwards in The Great Awakening, he says, you contribute nothing to your, to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's all you brought to the table, the sin that made it necessary. But what did God bring to the table? His one and only son. Because of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, we are now represented by him. And you could almost sum up the gospel in just four beautiful words, Jesus in our place. You know what this is known as? The doctrine that, that Paul talks about, he uses the word over and over and over again in Romans 5, justification. Just as if I've never sinned is how people will often describe it. I think it's a, a fair way to describe it. Just as if you've never sinned. doesn't mean that the consequences of your sin go away, but this is what the doctrine of justification means. Because Jesus died in your place. Justification means that we are now positionally made right with our creator. No longer does our creator see Adam's sin and how uh, we're represented by Adam's sin and now we're positionally separated from God. No, no, no. Now you're positionally made right before God because when Jesus died in your place, he sees that act of obedience of Jesus' death on the cross and sacrificial atonement. And so when he sees us, he sees Christ and his righteousness laid down, which is perfect. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Because of the doctrine of justification, we now have full access to the Father. We can come to him knowing that we are made right before him. We no longer have to do what Adam and Eve did when they sinned. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They tried to cover themselves in fig leaves. They tried to hide in the trees. They tried to blame. We no longer have to do that because we're made right to God through Jesus' sacrificial death. And so the question is this, how should this change the way that we live? Because it absolutely does. And so let me just read again, Romans, 5, Romans 6, pick up in verse 5. Romans 6, verse 5, he says this. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall surely, certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. We know that our old self, our old self who used to represent Adam, right? Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has set us free from sin. But now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Go down to verse 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey his passions. Now listen, here's what happens. Because Christ is your new representative, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness. And I want to tell you that this morning because so many people, specifically in the Bible Belt, like we come to church and we think, okay, for me to be made right with God, I have to clean myself up. I have to do all of these things, and then God will finally accept me, and he'll finally love me, and finally approve of me. But listen, that's not the gospel. That's not the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification is it's not change and be justified. The doctrine of justification is be justified, and that's what will change you. Be made right with God by what Jesus has done, by turning to what Christ has done and believing and repenting of your sin and trusting that when Jesus died on the cross, that applied directly to me. And when he forgives me of my sins, he crushes the old man on the cross. The old man that was once represented by Adam is crushed on the cross and the sins that we once held and we once uh, calls precious in our lives is now put to death and now we don't love sin anymore. We love God. We love God more than we love sin. That's the doctrine of justification. So yes, you're positionally made right before God. Yes, you will have an inheritance in heaven with him because you can approach the throne of grace with confidence knowing that Christ has done the work, but also you get a changed life. And so if you want to know this morning, am I justified? Do you have a changed life? A changed life is evidence that you've been justified. And so I think that the implications of this are very practical. Like I think sometimes we get in our minds like, okay, Jesus doesn't love us now, but he loves some future version of us that has it all figured out. Like we, we often will think that. Like, if, man, once I get it all figured out, once my kids are a certain age and I'll start reading the Bible more and I'll start discipling more and I'll start giving more and, I'll start, and we start to do that, well, then God's going to love me. And then God, No, no. Let me just say this. There is no future version of you that's going to have it all figured out, by the way. All right? I'm 38. I'm finally realizing that. Okay? I know you're, some of you 20-year-olds are like, I've got it figured out. You don't have it figured out. I love you. You don't. Okay? And there's no future version of you that will. Like, I'm 38, I'll go listen to my old sermons, like, from, like, six years ago. Like, what was I thinking? Why did anyone ever come? It's insane. Like, what was I talking about? I was crazy. And probably five years from now, go, that 38 version of me was crazy. What was I saying? And you're like, yeah, you will. You, I, I think that right now. You're right? But there's no future version of us that will have it all figured out. So, so the point I'm trying to make is this. He died. When he died for you, he died for the sinner that you and I were at birth. Jesus meets us where we are. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus didn't die for you because you were kind of good. Jesus died for you because you were a sinner in need of a savior. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to plague ourselves because of our sin of like, well, my sin's too worthless. My, my sin's too great. My sin's too terrible. I'm too worthless of a person because of my sin. And we begin to plague ourselves and think, well, I have nothing to offer to God. I have nothing to offer anybody else. 
No one could really love me if they knew the real me. Listen, the, God, the doctrine of justification says, look, you didn't do anything. You just brought your sin to the table. And Jesus said, out of my love, I will choose you. Out of my love, I will lay down my life for you. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about my grace. And so this morning, my question is this. Are you represented by Adam? Or are you represented by Jesus? And if you're represented by Jesus, what Paul says in Romans chapter 6 is that you'll have a changed life. You'll be a new person. Your sin will be put to death. And you'll love God more than sin. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. But it means that you'll love God more than you love sin. And that's the gospel. And so it's my hope this morning, if you're coming here for the first time, maybe you've not been to church in a while, maybe you've not been in church in your entire life and you're just hearing this for the first time, let me just tell you, the only hope that we have is the gospel of Jesus dying in our place. So this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, my hope is this, that you would repent and believe in the gospel, that you would believe that when Christ died on the cross, that his death applied to you that you were on his mind and his heart and he chose you before the foundation of the world. He says, you are mine and I'm laying down my life for you. If you can believe that truth this morning and trust Christ, then everything in your life will change. You'll be brought from death to life. But for those of us who are in here and who do believe, my hope is that the gospel and the doctrine of justification will change the way that we live our lives in a radical way because we begin to have confidence knowing that God truly loves us and he doesn't owe us anything else because he died in our place. And then our life then is a living sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Let us pray.